Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to episode 20 of the LSQ podcast. I'm your host, Jenny LSQ. This is the final episode for this year, and this has been the first full calendar year of doing the LSQ pod. I just want to say thanks so much to all of the artists who've participated so far, and of course, massive thanks to you, even if this is the very first time you're listening. You can reach me with feedback at Jenny LSQ on Twitter, um, and recent episodes that I recommend digging into include a conversation with singer-songwriter Leon Bridges from a couple of months ago, an episode from over the summer with multi-instrumentalist and producer Rostam, and I still really love that Tegan and Sarah episode from earlier this year. You know, one of the most recurring threads of the interviews I've done for the podcast so far is the influence artists attribute to a sibling with whom they grew up. In Tegan and Sarah's case, for instance, it's all right there, or Aaron Dessner from The National, who's also in a band with his twin. And Eleanor Friedberger, the guest in this episode, her first band, Fiery Furnaces, was with her older brother Matthew. And in the interview you're about to hear, Eleanor talks about just what a huge impact her brother's taste in music had on her as she was growing up. Plus, we talk about Rebound, her excellent new solo LP. And after the interview with Eleanor, I'll play you an excerpt from my archive from 2007 when I was assigned a Rolling Stone cover story on Amy Winehouse. I'll tell you a bit more about that once we get to it. Hi, Eleanor Friedberger. Do we need, we don't need, all right. Welcome to the thing, the LSQ thing. Have you been in this neighborhood for a long time? I have, I've been here, I've been in Greenpoint for like, almost 20 years and in this and we never like bumped into each other i know it's crazy because you know i used to live like three blocks away from here so it's kind of weird we must have passed each other yeah like ships <laughs> like ships in the <laughs> no, night no really yeah huh and where did you grow up in oak park illinois which is the first suburb on the west side of chicago so it's on the cusp well it's also the last stop on the cta so it feels urban since you still have the, the l train going there and you can see the skyline and everything did Um, you go to school in a more urban did you go sort of more into the suburban zone for school or no I went to the public schools in Oak Park which are known for being pretty good um it's Oak Park is famous because Ernest Hemingway is from there and Frank Lloyd Wright lived there and built many homes there so it's kind of a tourist destination for that but yeah it was it was like the best of both worlds because it felt safe but it also had like an urban 
quality to it. Right. But so how long have you, I know also, so we have a zillion mutual friends, including Lizzie Goodman, who's Mm -hmm. a a dear, dear old friend of mine and apparently lives, you know, not that far from you upstate. Um, But, but how long have you, how long ago did you move up there? It will be five years in November. Right. It's been a, it's been a second. And are you, have you, in, in that time, have you been home a lot? Has it been really like truly a home base? It is truly a home base, but I don't think I would be enjoying it as much if that was where I was trapped, <laughs> you know, right. month after month. I, you know, I've been traveling all, all, as much as I can, basically, um, all the while that I've been up there. So it's great to come. It's a really nice place to come home to. And I don't miss... I don't miss any of this stuff. Right. That's outside here. Right. <laughs> not to not to I don't know how negative I can get, how quickly, how negative I can get, but um yeah, just all the stuff that the city has to offer now is just isn't for me. I just don't Right. I don't know. Right. I don't need it. Right, but it's not it's not per se the fact that it's like quiet and woodsy up there that it's more that you just sort of wanted to go somewhere else and that's a like a uh, realistic place to be for now financially it was realistic and I didn't realize how much I do like the quiet I mean I didn't I didn't know I guess but that is what I like I mean it's now when I come to the city I can't wait to get out you know right do Um, you feel like traveling is I mean is that like just the pressing the kind of inspiration buttons because I know you know that your latest album rebound was inspired by this long trip to Greece mm -hmm. but that you didn't start working on the songs until you came back home to your yeah to your home that you're talking about upstate mm-hmm. right yeah. so I mean have you found in this time that you've been based up there that like being able to sort of like go have big city experiences around the world and absorb whatever the vibes from that and then go back to that place and be like what would, what would it yeah. all mean I'm quietly nodding but yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no I mean I I still the best part the only not the only perk but the best part about the job, if I if I can still call it a job, um, is getting to travel. I don't take a lot of vacations, you know. It's just, right. it's about going to different places to play shows and then figuring out how to stay in those places longer or whatever, you know. Um, and how did you know you wanted to go to Greece? My mom's Greek American, and I've been going to Greece with. Her. I'd started going to Greece with her when I was like twenty, and going pretty regularly, and then started playing shows there. Maybe like. Or first we played fire furnaces played there maybe eight years ago and then i became friends with the promoter who put on that show and then just like snowballed with friendships and relationships there that were i don't know each time i went back just made more friends and right. and then had never spent a lot a huge amount of time in athens and i always loved it but i'd only been there for a couple of days at a time i'd go off to other places that were more like holiday places and so how long yeah, did you to... how long did you chill there i was there for a month in the winter time and then for like another month six mo- months later oh wow so yeah so that's you can really live in a place if you're there for a month and yeah i mean to, i would like favorite, to favorite cafe yeah. your favorite cafe and obviously the album itself is named after a, a disco or a nightclub mm-hmm. that you spent some time in while you were there <laughs> i thought one of the interesting things or you know I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to episodes of the, of the, this podcast or whatever. I did listen the, to a few. One of the things, you know, <laughs> that I'm like always intrigued by is kind of like the the zoomed out sort of just like, what is it that you've always been doing? And I, mm-hmm. in reading uh, some of what you've said about making Rebound, thought it was intriguing that you 
or consciously trying to shake things up for yourself and do things differently, but that still you, in the process, identify things that you can't get away from in, in like your the way songs come out of you or something like sure. that. So I wonder if from kind of this current perspective, having put out now several solo albums and all this stuff with Fiery Furnaces and beyond, like, do you feel like there is a an innate kind of a song that is the kind of song you've been just sort of always striving to make? If that's not too meta, I mean, do you still feel like you're pursuing this a similar <laughs> goal as when you started writing songs in the first place? Yeah, sorry, I'm having like a lot of different thoughts at once. Um, the first know. song that I remember writing with my brother as as an adult was a song called Duffer St. George. And it ended up being like on some an album that we called EP that was just kind of like B-sides or whatever you want to call it. Um and I just I'd been living in London for a year after so after being in Oak Park till I was 17, I, I made a few like big moves before I came to New York. One was going to Austin, Texas to go to college at UT. And I didn't know anybody there. And that was like probably the smartest thing I could have done as a 17 year old. And and then I moved to London for a year after college. Also, just like as Right. An adventurous 22-year-old. So awesome cities, Austin. And, and then and then moved to New York. But anyway, so I lived in London for a year, and, and my brother was briefly living at home at my mom, mom's house. And I was just, like, telling him stories about my trip. Um, not trip, but just telling him stories about living there. And and then the lyrics for the song Duff for St. George, which was the name of a store and, like, a brand in London at the time, um, came out of that, me just telling stories to my brother. Um so to answer your question, I feel like that it, that has been the the kind of impetus, not, yeah. yeah, or like this not a template, but the way that I've written songs is just a way of telling these stories. That you know, maybe it started out to amuse my brother, to amuse myself, to amuse a friend. Almost every song that I've written is for someone. Um, and that person may or may not ever know that that's the case, but it's definitely that's in my mind, like me either recounting or retelling or explaining something. But I'd say 90% of the songs I write are like that. Right. And so, so going back to the song you're describing, like where, how did it become a song from when you say that was sort of the... So I had this little gap period between you know, I was living in London and coming back and thinking maybe I was going to go back to Austin and that didn't work out. And, or, yeah, I'd always wanted to live in New York, but just as like a fantasy as a dumb kid, um, based on, you know, music and books and movies and stuff. And so I moved to New York in March of 2000 and my brother moved to New York the following fall. Um, and we hadn't lived in the same town since we were like you know 13 and 17 um yeah and actually i was at a party literally four blocks away from here on franklin and um it was my friend tim's birthday and he asked for his birthday present if i would play some songs with him at the party and he played the drums Mm. and my brother was at the party and i remember my brother kind of conspicuously sitting alone in the corner like watching us (laughs) and feel I felt a little self-conscious about him watching um and then afterwards uh, I just remember being like well maybe we you should play with me you know or him saying something I'm like well why don't we play together right there wasn't really a big discussion about it 
Um, and I had played a couple of times, including another like short-lived place. Maybe you remember, I think it was called like the G stop or something like this terrible little bar (laughs) right on the other side of Greenpoint Avenue on Franklin. And there was a little stage in the corner and my friend Mikayla, who I'd gone to college with played drums with me. And that was the very first time I played in front of people in New York. And actually I remember Britt was at the show for some reason. He happened to be in town. I just remember like him saying like you should tune your guitar before you play. <laughs> you know that was his advice. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Did you feel good about? Do you remember if you felt good about how how it went or what your what you were what at that point what the fun of playing a show like that was to you? That's a good question. Or what were the short term goals? No what were the short term goals at that time? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I just remember as like my attitude when I was younger, like in college, like I went to so many shows in Austin. It was like just the best time yeah. to be. I was there from ninety four to ninety eight. Holy shit. And I had a fake ID and like emos at the time, you know, you could go in if you were over 18, I think you had to pay $5, but if you were over 21, it was free to almost all the shows. Oh, wow. Even for touring. Also bands. just, I mean, just thinking of like bands that would have been, artists that would have been touring in college towns like that during those years. It was amazing. It's like all the best. And we, stuff. I went to see bands, you know, probably four nights a week. Um, anyway, but my attitude was, remember, just like watching, being like, I could do that. You know, that was like, it was more like this competitive, I'm pretty competitive by nature um and i just remember that was my thing i was like i i could do that so when did you start (laughs) playing music just on your own it wasn't until um that i mean i took like piano lessons as a little kid but quit pretty quickly and my brother um did as well but then always he continued like he i don't know he wasn't very disciplined but good enough to get by in like the high school orchestra he played the bass and and got like an electric guitar probably when he was 13 or 14 or something like that and played like with boys from school like in our basement right like had a band right and played like should like, i stay or should i go a right. hundred times in a row but <laughs> and then he my brother was really encouraging i mean we had this period of when he'd gone to college um, he he moved to Champaign, Illinois, which was just like two and a half hours south of Chicago, where the University of Illinois is. And that was just also like a hotbed at that time for, I don't know if you remember, like the band Hum. Oh, yeah. Do they I had a big hit. Do you really? Dude, that song still <laughs> rips. Stars by yes. Hum. Come on. I listened to it recently. I went through like down this like She thinks she hole. missed the train of Mars. She's out back <laughs> counting stars or whatever it is. I pulled it's out like, like a box of seven inches recently, <laughs> like with some of my. So my brother like infiltrated this girl band, riot girl band called Corn Dolly. Okay. And we, I put it on. It was pretty awesome, actually. Anyway, and then he started his own band with two of the women who were in that band. And I used to go down there. And as soon as I got my driver's license, I went to Champagne all the time to go and visit him. And so I started going down there. And it was the kind of place where you could buy a, a really cool guitar for 200 bucks at the time. So by the time I was 18, my brother bought me a guitar. And then the following Christmas, he bought me a drum kit. And then I got a four track the next. So like in college, right. then I started playing, but not in front of... Not in front of people, right? Until much later. But did you feel? Did you feel uh, sort of an instant attachment to like writing your own songs once you kind of 
had actually started doing it, you know, or did it was yeah, what did it have an instant appeal to you? It yeah. wasn't a kind of release for me or any not at that age. I didn't know how to use it as a tool for that. I think I just I met a bunch of guys from Chicago down in Austin who I started hanging out with and they just for fun they played music every night and made four track recordings and I instead of them being like, "Hey babe, do it." You know, they they included me, you know. Yeah. Um <laughs> Hey, I don't know. I know, I know what you mean. Um, and so that was really. It was 1970. Yeah. And go get us some beers. But, you know, it wasn't like that. I, I was included. And so that was important. But I don't. And I started writing songs around that age. And then um, when I was 19, I started dating a guy who was in a band. And that had just been signed to Matador Records, you know. And uh, I kind of put my own stuff on the back burner a little bit whether that was intentional or not but that's kind of what happened right um but i mean before all that though i mean i was so obsessed with music that it didn't i didn't even need to be playing it 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 served like this other right role for me from a really from a really young age and you know for years i would spend i spent like just pretending to play and that satisfied this this thing i don't i don't even know i mean i should see like a shrink to really get to the bottom meaning of like it. as a little kid even as a teenager i mean up through high school like if i wasn't hanging out with friends or playing sports i would just be listening to records alone right. for hours right often with my mom's like old classical guitar in my lap and like pretending to play it and singing out loud yeah. along to the records yeah and I did that up until I was 17 years old you know yeah like for hours and uh that was the that was my idea of fun yeah <laughs> so uh so that started when you were ha- so that started when you were Howell what was as the- long as like I had privacy I mean when my brother was around my brother left home like when I was 13 I guess and so up until then he definitely ruled the scene yeah i mean he was the ruler of my universe for better mostly for better i mean he he just introduced me to everything yeah and it was a great so what kind of stuff would that have been as a kid that he played that you were like thanks i mean well from like a really young age like you know he was really into the who when he was little i don't know i mean just every classic rock thing you can imagine and then from like the who he got into, like the clash and then reggae and then but by the time he was a teenager, like sixteen, he got really serious about classical music. So like when we first got a CD player, he probably had like forty CDs and they were all Shostakovich. You know, like it was he, he was all over the place. But he had he had a subscription, or maybe not a subscription, but he bought Spin magazine every month. Mm-hmm. And back then, like you found out a, about a lot of yeah. stuff. But, you know, like he loved the replacements. I remember my mom driving him downtown to see the replacements when he was probably 13. Oh, wow. And I, I, I had this memory the other day. I was telling a friend, I don't know what year it would have been. The album Don't Tell a Soul. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of like, you know, got a flack for that yeah. album as maybe whatever. But they were they were on... And yet it's my favorite. And yet it's my favorite. Is it? Well, no, maybe not my favorite, but I ride for that album. I like I like the like late melodic Mm -hmm. shit, you know. There are some good songs on there, but they were on 
it wasn't the Grammys. It was like the American Music Awards. That was a thing. (laughs) And we knew that they were going to be on. So I don't know what year that was, 1989, maybe. Right. And um, my brother was in the basement and it was on and maybe they were the first act or maybe I don't know, maybe like they were the first thing. And I remember them coming on. And this was like almost like a moment of, you know, you hear all these old guys talk about seeing the Beatles for the first time. Mm-hmm. On, <laughs> you have this like mo- like a electric moment. And when I saw them, because I, you know, I, we didn't we didn't have MTV growing up and. I just remember seeing them come out and play the song Talent Show and they were dressed kind of crazy and it was way faster than the album and they were spinning around and it it was like, it's a short song anyway and it just happened so fast and like my jaw was like dropped watching this but I knew in the back of my mind that I should have been yelling to my brother to come, like they're on, time to come and I didn't and part of me, I think, a little part of me, like, didn't tell him on purpose because, like, I wanted that moment to myself. But he came up and I was like, you missed it. And he, like, I swear to God, like, <laughs> I'm, he either got so mad that it was one of the most mad times he's ever, you know, like, yeah. or he hit me. Like, it was like a violent, yeah. violent anger. Yeah. And then, and I felt, I felt really guilty, too, because I, I knew I should have, like, screamed his name to come up. It was a formative moment for sure and so it sounds like that's the beginning <laughs> of it becoming i don't know how i got there sorry of, of like that kind of thing becoming your your music because i was going to ask like what was the first sort of stuff you started hearing that felt like you had found it yourself that was very special to you mm-hmm. because it was something that you decided to press play on um i mean going back to like really young age you know, if we're about the same age, like I don't, like when Stand By Me came out mm-hmm. and um, La Bamba, <laughs> like I was listening to only oldies. I was obsessed right. with 50s music. Also, like there was a radio station in Chicago, as I'm sure there was in every big city, just only played oldies. Oh, yeah. So I only listened to that. And then my best friend growing up, uh, my parents were big music lovers, but they mostly listened to classical music. And uh my best friend's mom was like really like a rock chick and had like in their TV room had all of her original records from the sixties and seventies. And she was easy going about like, if you ever want to play anything, go for it. And, and for years we just knew that they were there, but didn't, and I don't know what one day, maybe we were 10 or 11, just I remember just flipping through them and I pulled out uh, physical graffiti because it looked like a toy almost, that record cover that yeah. pulls out in the building, you know. Um, and I just took out one of the records and just put it on, put having to put on the first side of song, whichever side it was, and the song um, Houses of the Holy. It was the song Houses of the Holy. And it, I, it was another one of those moments where I was like, what? Like, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. Yeah. And of course, I'd, I'd heard Led Zeppelin on the radio probably, but you never heard that song on the radio but for some reason, so I got I got completely obsessed with Led Zeppelin, and my brother to answer your question, like he hated Led Zeppelin. Now he doesn't feel that way, but at the time when he was like a little teenager, you know, he thought like you either you could like the Who or you could like Led Zeppelin. You couldn't, yeah, like both or whatever. And so I had to keep that secret from him. <laughs> so like when we first got the CD player, like I started buying Led Zeppelin CDs, but I wasn't allowed to play them. Until he left. Anyway, the but tyranny. then, but then, then it was more like you know, I was fifteen, 
1991 and got into all that stuff. Right, right. <laughs> and well, I know previously that, I only listened to old music. Right. You know? I know that Neil Young is a big one for you. I've 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 seen you uh-huh. mention his name in in a few places. When did you have your Neil big delve into the Neil catalog? I I'm not the biggest Neil Young fan, to be honest. I have other people, but for some reason, I feel more like connected to his like physical presence. I mean, I love his songs, but I just, there's something about him as a presence that I really, I don't know if admire is the right word, but like, I would want to channel that. Interesting. And his individuality and like his his singular, I mean, he's like totally singular. Yeah. Um, But of course I love his songs too. Um, actually, I remember being, he, my brother was in a band when he was a teenager and they played Keep on Rocking in the Free World. <laughs> Maybe that was like the first introduction. I don't know. Right, right. But what, and what you're describing, it sounds like in part, and I think now that you mention it, where one of the references to this w- involved when you're on stage, describing uh-huh. the sort of, uh, the when you're on stage, what kind of, what you kind of need to tell yourself sure. that you're Neil Young or something. Sure. You might be Neil Young or whatever. <laughs> did, did you... At what point, since you started to get up on stage and, and perform music, um, was it was it hard at first? Or how did you, at what point do you think you kind of found? Because I remember seeing you play uh, a couple of years ago, I guess, in L.A. at Spaceland, the satellite, whatever that place uh-huh. is called. And it was the first time I'd seen you play a solo show ever. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was just sort of like, what the fuck? How, why is she so cool? <laughs> you know? Thanks. Um, in terms of like, just like, you know, some people you just don't, they're, they're never going to be that comfortable on stage or whatever. Not like where mm-hmm. it's just like the most normal place to be. But yeah, was it, was that a pro, was it a process for you to get to a place where you figured out how to not be inhibited in, in your body on stage? Yeah. I mean, aside from like really early days when I'd wear like a baseball hat on stage and was kind of nervous and then not look at my hands and, you know, just, uh, I don't have, <laughs> I, I've, I've said this so many times, so I don't want to say it again, but it, it does come down to just having this natural, because I was good at sports as a kid and just mm. feeling that gave me a huge amount of confidence that I just, um, I don't feel as self-conscious in front of people as maybe I might, I, right. I don't know. Yeah. That's but I don't, I, I still don't know what I'm, what I'm doing though. I mean, I right. honestly have no idea, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's nice that it, it comes off as this right thing that you're describing, but I just don't, I don't really know. Right. Right. Um, right. But Sorry, that wasn't not, a good answer. No, it is. No, because some people I think are feel that they are actually very nervous about it, but somehow they go into a place someplace else you know what right. I mean and and to get through it but it sort of always feels like was that the most absurd like did that look natural at all right you know well I I really like it so that's good I also don't do anything that different on stage than I would do in real I'm not a I don't think of myself as a being necessarily like a terrific performer. And people say like you, you are a good performer and you've got good energy on stage and all that, but I'm not very performative, you know? Right. Right. No, you're not doing, um, you know, splits, <laughs> but I'm not doing, P- P-towns and I'm not splits. bending. Oh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not doing much of anything, right. you know? <laughs> you're Although I'm moving, I am, I do feel like I'm moving, but, and I am singing and uh, doing stuff, but yeah, it's not, 
I'm not going to this zone, right? Where I'm channeling, right? Something. And is that is that and compared to when you're in songwriting mode? I mean, how does that how does that do you, do you have to go into that sort of? I not again. I know that you had previously to rebound written. So, you know, written lyrics first and then written songs, mm-hmm. melodies to go with those, with those lyrics as opposed to the sort of ham and eggs yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Stream of consciousness kind of thing that other people describe um, experiencing. But yeah, is it nonetheless when you're at the at the point when you're doing it that way of writing down ideas for lyrics, are you in some sort of, is it like a fugue of a kind? There, there's like different phases right now. I happen to be in one where I'm like, you know what? I'm at home right now for a little while. I'm going to have a few drinks or maybe smoke pot or whatever and just have fun and like go to where I play and like make some noise. Right. And because I'm not feeling pressure right now to get something finished, but maybe I have like one verse to a song and a chorus to another song. And maybe there's like four or five things like that. And I'll be messing around with those four or five things over and over again. And, and that's, that's fun. Right. But then there comes a time where like, oh, okay, now I have to actually start. And that's, you know, I'm not going to smoke pot <laughs> or I'm not going <laughs> to yeah, be drunk. It's one or the other. Or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, now it's, that's almost like, uh, you know, okay, I'm writing a research paper in college. Mm-hmm. Like, and you get that feeling of like, I have to like actually look through all my notes and, and get the work done. Right. And I, I happen to be a freak who, Although I was a procrastinator and would wait to the end, I actually like doing that. And I love putting that those ideas together to make something work. So did you have other things that were like kind of wordy zones that you nerded out on before you started having lyric writing as a place to direct that energy? Did you were you like a big fan of? You know, poetry poetry or yeah or just like some other you know journaling or whatever as a kid when did you discover that you liked putting together words I don't know I mean this whole re- I, I always wrote pretty naturally and it I wasn't like ever trying to find my voice it, it came I was just I, if people know me, you know, say like, you're very direct, you're very honest and clear. And yeah. that's kind of always how I wrote. Right. So, you know, I'm guessing to an extent with Fiery Furnaces that just because that era, you know, mid, or mid early aughts, whatever the fuck you want to call it, you know, 2003, four, five, you know, mm-hmm. up, up until 2010. <laughs> the good old days. The good old days. But where... <laughs> the almost good the old days. The almost good old days. The illusion of it being the good day old days but it was like oh no but there's an expiration to it so enjoy while it lasts days yeah um but that i'm guessing that you probably you're in a band with your brother you're playing songs that are that are not being made to fit a marketplace in any way shape or form Mm -hmm. but then suddenly you're it's you're doing well enough that you can play you know big tours and make more and more albums and now this is your fucking job and you get to do this Mm -hmm. i'm and i just sort of wonder like at what point did you decide, like, what, at what point was it clear to you, like, yes, I'm a, I'm a, I don't have to come up with a backup plan. I'm doing this for real. I mean, did you have a moment where you were like, just, oh, hey. Just today, I'm like, what's Just today. No, I'm like, I'm, I mean, al- it- I'm always thinking about that. Though. Right. Honestly, like. Really? Yeah. I don't have a backup plan. And I think the only way to do this is that I never had a backup 
plan. I mean, my mentality, I mean, but I'm a practical person. So I'm like, how am I actually going to pay my mortgage for the next six months? Like, I do think like, wait, I, I do need some other job. Right. And I think about that. But but then when it comes down to it, I don't have a plan. Right. And I think the only way to that you're kind of foolish. I don't know what people do now. I don't understand what's happening in the world right <laughs> yeah. now, in our small small little world and obviously the world at large. But I mean, I really don't understand how people like start bands now and what they're thinking. It is kind of interesting that it does seem like the same, it's of course the micro economy of our world, whatever that means. Well, it's still, there's the 1% of our corner too, where it's like feast or famine, either you're like really killing it and have plenty to share and you can start. And, you know, I really appreciate what like the Bonnie Vare guys and the guys from the national do with their, Mm -hmm. to pool resources and try and help make other stuff happen that is not with any profit in mind because it's just like oh man there's either you're just like i need to have another job besides going on tour or you're like rolling in it it seems it seems to me which you know it's it's great that some of the artists of the past decade that have made it to the other side of being that successful like are some of my favorite artists ever it makes me happy that people that there are that many listeners who love this kind of stuff but at the same time it's like oh man yeah you really either make it or you don't more right. than ever now maybe I don't know but I guess that was sort of if there is a question in there the question is sort of like what what kind of have you learned over the years since including fiery furnaces at its most say commercially successful uh-huh. <laughs> like all, zooming out on all of it like if you want to not have a plan b what sort of philosophy as do you have to adopt as an artist or like I'm I'm a very pragmatic person and yet I have this like fanciful sort of job a lifestyle that don't doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm. But I mean, I don't know if this is answering your question at all, but I mean, I'm in, I'm very frugal, you know, yeah. like I don't buy things on credit card. I mean, right. I'm just like, you know, I'm 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 getting by and and that's great. Right. But um I didn't like move to New York with like, I'll try this out for a few years and then I'll go to grad school and become like, I never thought that I was just like, just on this blind kind of path. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's kind of remarkable, I guess, when you think about it, it's also very dumb. (sighs) But I mean, does it feel like something that you, does it feel like something that you have to do? It's a good. I, I'm Music too. I'm too like things. Midwestern and pragmatic <laughs> to say that. Right. But you're like, I'd be fine. I'd be fine. I'd miss it, but I'd be fine. But I. But yeah, I don't know what I would do. Right. <laughs> so I guess I have to. But would you? Do you, would you record? Would you record songs for yourself at home in the same way you do now, even if you were never going to share them with anyone? I'd like to say yes. Right. But I mean. Well, I, you know, if I if I don't have a large enough audience to like continue to play concerts for people to make a living, it's like I have to figure out another way to like. Are there things sell that innately, my personality? Are there, you know, are there things that innately appeal to you as like a vocation that that you would be happy to acquire the training in to do if money was no object? Like the hypothetical where I'm like, I would learn to be a hairdresser. Honestly, I've always wanted to. <laughs> I would be a have surgeon. To cut I hair. would be a surgeon. I'll cut hair. You'll cut organs. <laughs> yeah. 
kidding. Maybe I'll become a, I'll become a doctor. <laughs> oh, my God. You're going to become a surgeon, Eleanor. It's going to happen. Like, But more like, like mole removal. Like, I'd be into that. Like, light surgery. Right. Seems like a good plan. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I've got <laughs> that- for you. I think that's an apt place to wrap <laughs> okay, up. I don't want right. to keep you from your medical training. I know that it's oh my gosh, a long I've got course like of eight study. years or something. You've got like eight years of study ahead of you. I hope you enjoy your internship. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again to Eleanor Friedberger. Hopefully she'll announce some more North American dates for next year at this point. Um, nothing listed over at eleanorfriedberger.com, but go ahead and bookmark that yourself, why don't you? And next on this episode of LSQ, it's an archive clip from an interview I did in early 2007 with Amy Winehouse. I was assigned a cover story for Rolling Stone about Amy and ended up spending a couple of days with her, uh, a day and a half or so in Toronto and, and then another day in Miami. And leading up to what you'll hear, this is the beginning of our first interview, um, Amy and her boyfriend had just gotten into a massive fight and she was in, in tears. And so it was an intimidating way to start things. And you'll hear a little bit of that discomfort in, in the few minutes or so worth of audio I'm going to play for you. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the few hours worth of tape I have with Amy. And so I will devote a greater portion of an episode, if not an entire episode, to that at some point. Um, but for now, a little bit of insight and some kind of uncanny similarities between this little bit of conversation and what you just heard with Eleanor Friedberger. So uh, let's get into it right now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see... We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So why don't you tell me, for starters, just how you first, like as a kid, got interested in, in playing music and writing music? Um, uh, I did. My brother had a guitar. My brother played guitar, and I think I used to play that when he was at the house. And then when I when I got a couple of when I got a little bit of money for myself, I got my first guitar, and then I could play whenever I wanted, really. I guess I always wrote like, poetry and stuff like that. So just like, putting songs together wasn't that uh, wasn't that spectacular, it wasn't that much of a difference. And how much older than you is your brother? Four years old, yeah. So how old were you when you when you got your own guitar? Uh, I think I, must, I was about 12 when I started playing. I must have been about 14 when I got my own one. And what, what did you immediately start playing your own, you know, writing your own songs? Or were you just playing other stuff? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So what 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 are the what are the first songs that you played or wrote sound like? Yeah. And it started writing so I was about fifteen. Right. And by then 
But then I was listening to a lot of jazz, a lot of hip hop, yeah. like a lot of Mustard, a lot of um, um, a lot of hip hop. Right. So what? I mean, at what point did it go from being like just sort of? Did you always feel like you wanted to be a um, a musician or a songwriter or performer professionally, or did you have other things that you were interested in? Um, I didn't really always. I didn't ever want to be a musician. I just thought I'll always have it. I'll always have it on the back burner. I went to be a roller skating waitress, and um, you know, like junior kid. Well, um, so you wanted to be a roller skating waitress? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was there was there like a, a place near where you grew up where they were roller skating waitresses? No, I always like fifty stuff. I always watched the music from. That's what I grew up from. I didn't really watch anything coming, you know what I mean? Yeah. Was that stuff that your parents introduced you to, like, those kinds of movies and stuff? I guess so, yeah, like, American Graffiti and all that kind of stuff, yeah. So, where did you get your tattoos? Um, I got them done in London. All on the same, from the same artist? No, um, I got them all over, really, London, New York, um, a couple of places in Manchester. Right. When did you start getting them? About fifteen. Right. So what's the what's which one's the first one? I got a baby boop on my back. When I was fifteen. I just like tattoos. Is there? How old do you have to be in England to get tattooed? Like legally to get tattooed? Uh, no, not a clue. They didn't. They were like just like okay, whatever. Yeah. What did your parents think of that? Yeah, my parents pretty much realised that I would do whatever I kind of wanted. Right. Quite young, so that was it. Yeah. So how long after you got that first tattoo did they did you keep it a secret from them or did they know about it? Uh, I think they knew about it so well. I don't really like. I don't. I my mum and dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm not really. You know. I'm not that badly behaved. Okay. So when did you start pursuing playing music professionally? Um, I think when I was about 16. Um, I was singing with um, a jazz band. And a guy came to see me, my friend Nicky Shemansky. And said to me, I'll come and have some studio time. And um, I didn't understand why. And he said, well, you'll make an album. You know, you'll do it. That's what you're going to do. Right. Did you not, I mean, were you not aware that you were, I mean, did you, were you not, like, aware that you were talented? I didn't think it was special to have Right. So you were just sort of like, okay, you want me to make a record? Yeah, I, I, was, I just didn't get it. I kind of, I didn't believe that he'd let me. Yeah. So that what I wanted to do, I was like, well, what, what's in it for me? Oh, sorry, I was like, what's in it for you? you? Yeah. I didn't get it as well. And then I started doing gigs when I was about 18. I just ran out with the guitar. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just didn't understand, you know, I love playing guitar. And I didn't understand that I could go in a studio and play nothing and, and write whatever I wanted to write. And I just didn't understand why. Yeah, why, yeah. So at what point did it start to switch over from being like, okay, bye, to, to being like, 
well, this is what I do now, and I, I'm taking it seriously. Um, I don't think I've got that yet. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Well, that's about it for episode 20 of LSQ. Again, thanks to Eleanor Friedberger for her time. And I don't know what to say about Amy Winehouse, except that it was a fascinating experience spending time around her and uh, such a tremendous loss that she's no longer with us. I'm certain she would have made some more incredible music. And yeah, I think about her often. And LSQ is off for the month of December, but there's plenty to look forward to in 2019. I've already taped some new interviews with Hamilton Lighthouser and Mike Hadrius, who is Perfume Genius. And so I'll look forward to bringing you those in early 2019. In the short term, if you're not already subscribed, do that so you get new episodes immediately. And reach me with feedback at Jenny LSQ whenever you've got something you want to share. <laughs>